So just, just to keep things consistent, I have no idea why I'm telling you this. First, service, I had no idea how this came up, but I figured just to keep it consistent, you guys should hear the story. I don't know why. Uh, it has nothing to do with anything whatsoever. But sometimes when my wife and I are in a store and I lose her, I'm ADD, okay? So I don't know if I really am. I just feel like I am because I get distracted by shiny objects. So I'm like, yeah, right? And I lose her. I don't know where she went. You know how I find my wife in the store when I lose her? I go, Marianne! Mary, I if I do, and then I know where she's at because she's like, stop it, stop it. I go, oh. and I go and find her. Yeah. It doesn't happen like that. That doesn't usually help me. Like one time we we're in the store and she's all, oh, I'm by the handbags. Like I have ever been by the handbags. <laughs> I don't know where that is. If I just yell, I I find her. Again, I don't know why I told you that. But whatever. Uh, so. One thing before we begin, and that is redemption groups. Uh, redemption groups are starting soon. I just wanted to take a second to talk to you about them. A lot of times when you hear about redemption groups, people tend to think, oh, it's a self-help group. or it's, That's not what it is. Uh, redemption is about understanding uh, the story of how Jesus has rescued and redeemed all of us and how it applies to every part of our lives. Uh, maybe something horrible has happened to you in your life. Maybe you've done something horrible to somebody else. Maybe you're just kind of in a lethargic place in your walk with Christ and you have no idea kind of what's going on. All these things are things that Redemption Groups covers because we understand how Jesus has sought to rescue and redeem us, how that speaks to every part of our lives, how it influences our relationships with one another, and most importantly, how it influences our relationship with God. And so we do the Redemption Groups because they're so important to who Element is and our focus. And at some point, we want all of our GC leaders and all of our leaders here to go through Redemption Groups. Because it's going to be such a strong part of who we are as a people. So I would encourage you, uh, if you want to be involved in the next upcoming redemption groups, I think that next Sunday is the last day to turn in applications for it. You can grab them in the back. But I would encourage everybody, everybody to go through it. Because you will understand what Jesus has done to save you and your life so much better in the context of the understanding of the great redemption that has been given and brought to us as a people. So I would encourage all of you guys to go through it. Uh, any the the package from the back to fill out to actually try and be part of it, and they'll look through those and give you a call and stuff like that. We good? <sighs> okay. My name I'm Marianne. She's working today, so. <laughs> Every time she works, she knows I'm going to do some project at home, and she says, do not come in here. She works in the ER, if you don't know, okay? So she's like, I don't want to see you come in here. I'm like... You won't. I'll staple it myself at home. I got it. I'm good. All right. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, you can use one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There's sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. Okay? And inside of this, you will get some notes that go along with the message, as well as some questions that go a little bit deeper into what we're dealing with this morning. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Version. You click on Live, and Version will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get sermon notes, questions, verses, and announcements, and all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. You probably know my wife's name better than mine at this point, right? Uh, why don't you stay on me reading of God's Word? This is Acts chapter 1, verse 11. And it says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live in the power of resurrection and ascension. That we would understand what these two powerful things actually are and what they mean not just to us, but also to you and your call to us in the world in which we live. 
I ask that you would take and change us and renew our hearts and our minds as we learn more about you and your call to mission this morning. Amen. Have a seat. So this is week two of part one of the book of Acts. The reason I say part one is we're going halfway through the book of Acts. It's going to take us 36 weeks to get there to the founding of the early church, the original apostles, and halfway through the book flips and starts following the apostle Paul. So that's where we're going. Uh, that actually happens in chapter 13. So 36 weeks to get to chapter 13. Go us. Uh, so today I'm going to steal from multiple sources, one of which being me. So hey, that's, that's great. Uh, because some of the things I'm talking about to you today, I talked about on Easter a few years ago, but you don't remember what I talked about last week, so I'm sure it'll all sound new to you anyway, so that's fine. Uh, Open to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. It's important to see that as we begin, the point of the entire book of Acts is Jesus. It is Jesus. As is all the scripture, it's all about Jesus. So Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, and the first book is the book of Luke. We talked about that last week. I have dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the book of Luke is all about Jesus, and then he starts the book of Acts with this recentering on the person of Jesus. So everything is going that direction. Now, the 40 days he talks about are the days that lead up to this large Jewish holiday called Pentecost. It also brings to mind the 40 years the Israelites spent walking through the desert, also the 40 days of Jesus' temptation, which all focuses back on the idea of the exodus and redemption. So, in this 40 days, this is now the in-between time between resurrection and the coming of the Spirit, and this is very significant because this is when Jesus is going to give his people ample proof of his resurrection, but also what ascension will mean. Verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we'll talk about this in a few weeks. Don't get all caught up and wrapped in right now. We'll be fine. Okay. You'll be okay. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, what is your hang-up with this? You're like Christians 2,000 years from now. You're always asking this kind of question. There's some interesting things going on here. uh, And what you're seeing is that the disciples aren't really understanding Jesus' life or ministry or the idea of resurrection. Now, for decades, at this point, there have been uh, Israelites in the city of Jerusalem, which is, again, where Jesus told his disciples to stay. But these people were all waiting for a political leader, a military leader, a Messiah that would come and lead them in revolt against Rome. And so they wanted somebody who would not just overthrow Rome, but also come in and clean up the corruption in their own temple, because their temple was also under Roman power as well. So they wanted someone who would step forward, lead Israel once again into freedom, so it could occupy its rightful place in the world, this one little section on a map that everybody will look at and say, oh, isn't that place so great? That place is so amazing. They wanted a candidate to step forward to make Israel great again. has no relation, right? Yeah, okay. Okay. So this scene here with the disciples is taking place in as little as a week after the crucifixion, probably about two weeks after Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, Jesus goes into Jerusalem and the crowds see him come in and they say, that's the guy. He is the Messiah. He's going to lead us in revolt. Here's the revolution. Viva la revolution. That's all I know. Okay, anyway. But Jesus, he, he doesn't revolt. 
Uh, he wouldn't outwardly to the crowds even claim to be the Messiah. You know, only when it's too late for anybody to step in and rise in revolt when he's in the hands of the chief priests and Pilate, only when there's no chance of anybody rising up to defend him will Jesus ever give a definitive answer that he is the Messiah. When there's no chance of this word being misinterpreted as a military figure in any way, will Jesus say, yes, Pilate, I'm the one they've been waiting for. I am their king. I am the Messiah. So what happens now is Jesus rises from the grave and his disciples are like, aha, now we get it. Now's the time. You rose from the dead. No one can kill zombie Jesus. That's what they're thinking. It's like, these guys are in trouble now. We're going to go get those guys. Are you now going to crush them, Jesus? Are you now going to make us into this place the world's going to envy? Are you? You're going to, right? 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 Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times of the season that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Jesus says, No. And they're like, What? They're so crushed. Run, one writer says this, Speculation about the end of the world doesn't seem interesting to Jesus. It is so refreshing to see that Jesus is not so concerned about who's left behind, right? It's not. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus says no. He goes, I've got a completely different plan, and you've all been missing it, just like a lot of Christians do throughout the ages. I mean, Acts continues with what the gospel accounts talk about, a new understanding of the kingdom of God. What Jesus promises them is mission. That's what he promises them. And you go all the way to the end of the book of Acts, which we will not get to this year. And these are the last two verses in the book of Acts. Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. It says, he, that's the apostle Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It ends with the apostle Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God in a Gentile nation to those who are not Jews. It ends with the mission of what Jesus talks about all the way back in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. In Jerusalem, Jesus says, God's spirit will come and reside in you for the purpose of making you into my witnesses to the entire world. His spirit doesn't come to make us comfortable and elect our candidates and to give us all the things that we want and make us feel all blessed. No, he says, I will give you my power to be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It means the story doesn't just stay with you. It grows and grows and grows. And Jesus names the local and surrounding areas and then all the world. He says, in all Judea and Samaria, this is connected by the word in. So he connects Judea and Samaria. Now we hear that and we think, oh, okay, it must be the same place. It's not the same place. This is huge because these two places are arch enemies of each other at this time. If you were in Judea and you wanted to travel to the other side of Samaria, you would walk around Samaria because you didn't want to be near those people. So you would take many, many miles out of your way just to get around because you didn't want to go by those people. It's not like straight out of Compton, it's straight around Compton. That's what it's talking about. This is ethnic division that's deep and profound. And Jesus says to those people who you think are your enemies... To those people you think can't stand each other, that's where you go. He lumps them together. This is like saying, and and each service, I I finally I make something connect eventually one of these. But this is like saying uh, you're going to go to the Taliban and the Tea Party. It's like saying you're going to go to USC and UCLA. Nothing. Okay, Uh, you're going to go to Dodgers and Giants fans. (laughs) Hollyfield and Tyson. You're like, who? Okay, whatever. All right. Uh, you know, uh, Israel and Palestine, th- this is the idea. And we're like, don't you know how the world works? We go to the people who like us. We go to the people who want to listen to the things that we want to say. 
Jesus says the power of God, the word for power, there's the word where we get dynamite from. The, the power of God helps you to do this. It is why he is giving you the power to bring about reconciliation in the world. We are called to be those people in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will find yourself in places you never even imagined because of the message of Jesus. And then what Jesus does is he ascends. He ascends and his presence explodes in every one of us, or at least it's supposed to. Verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, we talked about, like I said, Easter a few years ago about this, but there are three events in Christ's life that get all the press, right? The birth, the death, and the resurrection. We have Christmas cards. You can find Lent cards or Good Friday cards. Uh, You can get Easter cards, but there's no Ascension cards. Why not, right? Because nobody really understands Ascension. I'd like to see Someone's got to make one at some point, right? You hear Here's an Ascension. Now, Ascension like this will be celebrated 40 days after Easter, coming in to Pentecost, but it's very important to the birth, death, and the resurrection. Timothy Keller says this, The birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ are of no use without the ascension because the ascension is the detonator for everything else Jesus Christ did. Like, it's dumb if you're in the military and you make a bunker-bursting bomb without a detonator on it. Or if you build a house that nobody's ever going to live in. This is the ascension to Christ's work. The ascension releases Christ's power into our lives. When the ascension occurs, the angels look at the apostles just standing there. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? They're actually rebuking them because they're standing there. They've seen all the stuff that Jesus did. And Jesus says, you're going to receive power. And then he's like, whoop. And he, and he, I don't know what happened, right? But it's ascended. He floated off. I don't know. Like some little kid that lost their balloon from Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know. Right? So, no? All right. And they're like, what? What? Like, and they just are like, hey. You're like, I woke you up right there, didn't I? And they're just like, hey, hey. This is the culmination of what Jesus has been doing. Do you not understand? This is the culmination of the life and the death and the resurrection, this ascension right here. And if you don't get it, you're never going to live in the grace and the power of God. You have to understand what is going on right here. And at the end of Luke, who wrote Acts, you realize they actually do eventually get it because he mushes the story together in Luke 24, 52. It says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Acts lets you know that that was actually after the angel's admonition, after he calls them to understand what is actually happening here. They go back into the world and they live in God's power and change the entire world. The ascension detonates us to understand and live resurrection. The ascension is not the loss of Jesus' leadership or his majesty. It is the magnification of it. And unless we understand, we will sit and stare just like the apostles where we think God should be and not going to live where he calls us to actually be. Now, Timothy Keller kind of explains this, and I'll I'll paraphrase as best I can. In English, the word ascension, it has like this double meaning to it. Like, uh, there are some places in the world today where some rulers still have a throne or a chair, and that, that's where they rule from. That, so, and if you could go to some of those nations, you could literally ascend that throne. You get past the security guards and the laser beams, and, you know, you mission impossible and get over the shark tank or whatever, you know, and, and you actually get there. You can actually get up, and you could, you could sit on that throne. Now, you'd probably get arrested and shot, but, but you could do it, right? Now, ju- but you would also know just ascending that throne doesn't make you the king of that country. It doesn't make you the ruler, 
That means ascension has something else that's so much deeper. To ascend literally means you change your relationship to everything around you. The ascension is not space travel. Like the first cosmonaut, Yuri Gagorin, Russian, not American, by the way, he goes into outer space and he comes back and he says, I looked and there was no evidence or heaven or God. So this is someone who doesn't really understand the scriptures, for for one. But biblically, because that's not what heaven means. That's not what heaven means. It's not spatially oriented. God does not live in the clouds. Heaven, the word heaven can mean sky, but that's not what it means here. God does not relate to us like a homeless guy who snuck into your attic while you live on the first floor. That is not what it is like. God relates to us like the author of a play. It's like this. An author of a play, they create their own universe. And if characters in the play were actually living, breathing people, then the only way for them to ever know about the author is that the author wrote himself into the play. The the author lives in a whole other realm, and the people in the play will only know what the author wants them to know. You can't run backstage or run up to the sound booth to find some new truth. The reason any of us know anything about God is that he himself wrote himself into his story. That's how we know. We call this revelation. And so when Jesus ascended, when he ascended, it doesn't mean he went to live at another part of the stage or another part of the universe. Luke 24, 51, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. It's not that he went to live in a different part of the universe. It means that now he has a different relationship to the entire universe. He took upon himself a body, so we know what it means to be human. He lived a perfect life. He died and rose, so death was defeated, and then he ascended. And if he existed now, only in space and time, and set up an earthly kingdom like the disciples wanted, like the disciples expected, he'd be stuck at one spot at one time, and we'd only get to talk to him one at a time. Imagine the line for that. You ever been to Disneyland on a holiday weekend? Nothing like that. I mean, seriously, a line will wrap around the world. Oh, geez, I only got five minutes for you. Let's go. Come on, come on, come on. I mean, it'd, it'd be horrible. Instead, Jesus goes out of space and time. He's not taken up into heavens. He's taken up to heaven. The scriptures help you to understand this by using the terms that he is on the throne. He is on the throne. He can take anything he ever said or ever did and make it applicable to us now. He is our shepherd. He is our substitute. He is our mediator. He is our sacrifice. And now he has a relationship to us that he can take all the benefits that he did and apply it to everyone everywhere. At the resurrection, Mary sees Jesus, first one that recognizes him when he rises from the dead in the garden. And she holds on to him. She's like, I'm going to hang on to you. No, you, I, it's so great to see you. And Jesus says to her in John 20, verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. The literal rendering of that is, I am ascending to the Father. And at first glance, people say, oh, well, Jesus is saying, don't touch me. You know, I only got enough helium to get me up there. You know, I, I don't know, you know. I'm patient zero, you might explode, don't don't touch me. But we know that's not the case because in Luke 24 and Matthew 28, people grab a hold of Jesus and he's okay with it. He says to Thomas, he he says, touch me and see that I am real, I am not a ghost. So what's the problem? Well, he's saying, Mary, don't you understand? You have to let go. You have to let go. I'm ascending. And when I ascend, there's no way I can be taken from you ever again. If I stayed here, I'd be stuck in one spot at one time. But if I ascend, no one can ever take me from you. They can chain you up. They can lock you in prison. They can throw you in a dungeon. They can throw you to the lions. They can write all sorts of books about me that say, I don't even exist. But they will never keep me from you. When I ascend, when I am now, I'll be loose to explode around the entire world. Ascension is not another place. He went into heaven, so what he did was detonated to the entire world. This is the power and also the nature of resurrection and ascension. But what does it mean? Glad you asked. Okay, Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
First Peter chapter 1. We are invited to be a people who take part in the power of resurrection now. Uh, for the first Christians, resurrection was about life rooted and grounded here. So they had words and metaphors and pictures of what that meant. Part of that is understanding our full hope. Uh, resurrection and ascension go hand in hand. When people go to the tomb where Jesus was buried, the angels say, he's not here, he is risen. How does Peter relate that? First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is Peter beginning to get the understanding of Acts 1, 11, that this Jesus was taken up from you will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It means Jesus isn't evaporating. Where he is, he is still the same. When the first Christians try to describe all of this, try to describe resurrection, they would say, Colossians, 1, Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, that is our record of indebtedness, that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So for them, the understanding of this whole thing was the canceling of debts, the worst oh, kind of debts, the oppressive debts that weigh down your soul. These are things that we call sin. Resurrection sets you free. And then ascension bestows this confident power to take that message to the rest of the world. And this is why they celebrated. Because you used to have guilt and sacrifices and the temple and shame and animals and blood and more blood and more blood. But now the dead is gone. The dead is nailed to the cross. And so you become his witnesses to spread that message around because of resurrection and ascension. And he puts that power in you to be his witnesses. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. Resurrection is all about new birth, new life, new hope, new freedom. Uh, even from that voice in your head that always says you're not good enough, because when your voice says that, you go, you're right, I'm not good enough. But Jesus is, right? That's, that's what you say. Ascension comes so Jesus has the power to love and redeem us exactly as we are. Resurrection means new freedom from debt and obligation. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Meaning there is victory of life over death. Resurrection is the death of death. And the worst this life can throw at you is physical death. Well, then you win. Ascension is proving of his strength and majesty and power. If the worst your adversary can throw at you is this physical death, Jesus absorbed that. And no power can stop the message of God's people. It's like a boxer who keeps like getting knocked over, but he won't drop for the count because death has no mastery. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where's your rope-a-dope? And your left hook? You know, you don't hit that hard. It all means nothing. Is that all you? My grandma hits harder than that, death. Right? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ascension doesn't make sense without resurrection, and resurrection, truly being the power of that, will not make sense without ascension. Uh, Ethan Orthodox writer for Deacon Green says this, In orthodoxy, we believe that the central meaning of the resurrection is victory. Thus, our traditional image is more vibrant and noisy, and it rings with a victorious shout. The resurrection is a victory of a victory over sin, death, and the devil, and a victory over the dark forces that enslave us, despise us, and wish to destroy us. Beautiful words. Timothy Keller says that ascension proves Christianity is true. He says, Christianity is still spreading, and Christians are idiots. And we all say, Amen. We get it, yeah. It says, The idiocy of Christians could be evidence that Christianity is untrue, but it is much more likely that it, uh, likely evidence that the ascension happened because in spite of our idiocy, the gates of hell have not prevailed. 
I mean, those are cool words too. Because of resurrection and ascension, when the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. Resurrection is about trusting Jesus. How does shame disappear? And marriages get fixed and lives become changed. It is faith in Jesus Christ. And ascension explodes that, that power of grace into our lives today. We're not meant to stand and stare where we think God should be. We're meant to go where God calls us to be as we live on mission with his power exactly like he said. And this becomes very personal for all, for all of us. You know, do, does your tomorrow always have to be like today if your today is horrible? No, it doesn't. Because we believe in resurrection because Jesus ascended. Maybe you struggle with anxiety or depression or something. Will you always struggle with that? I say no. I think things can be made new because of resurrection, because he ascended. Maybe at some point in your life you struggle with an unwanted pregnancy, and maybe you terminated that in your past. Will that black hole follow you around forever? Can God redeem your past? I believe God can redeem your past because I believe in resurrection because Jesus ascended. I believe in new birth and that some things can be left behind and God births new things into our lives. Maybe you are in a marriage right now and you just feel like you're slogging it out. Like, oh, oh, will this ever be the same? Does it always have to be this way? I say no because of resurrection. And that doesn't mean, oh, good, the other person is going to change. That means you change. It means you change, and you treat them with dignity, honor, and respect, and you serve them because resurrection changes you, and you go and live that out by the power of his grace and his mercy. Guys, I have seen marriages reborn. This is the power of new birth in Jesus' resurrection. Resurrection says he's not here, he is risen. Tomorrow doesn't have to be the same as today. It all can be different, but it's not just personal. It starts, but it goes out from there. And we are the ones who are called to take it out into Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The message is to us, but it's not just for us. It is for the worst enemy you can think of. I mean, if you are a conservative, uh, the message is for Bernie Sanders. Okay? You're, fill the burn. Yeah, and hell, Bernie Sanders. Right? No. You pray for that guy. If you are a liberal, that means it's for Donald Trump. If you're a conservative, it's for Donald Trump. <laughs> right? You pray. I mean, if you got two to three minutes with either one of those guys, what do you do? You tell them about Jesus. That's what you do. Because God wants to redeem them and restore them because God's grace and mercy and love is for every single one of us. And we are sent on mission. I mean, the saving grace that we know, we must share with everyone else so they would know. We are to be a people who live on mission. The life purpose of a saved person is mission, glorifying God, discipling one another. And we disciple one another to see and live in the good news of Jesus that completely changes and reorients our own lives. John Doan wrote this. He's not a well-known poet, but he says this. Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free. Except you are the one who has all me. Except I, everything is found in you. Only then will I actually truly be free. Now today, you might consider yourself a believer in Jesus, but think you're not a very good one. I think I could probably explain a lot of us who are really honest about this. Jesus says the least in the kingdom of God, by God's grace, is greater than somebody than like John the Baptist. You know, somewhere in the world today is the weakest Christian. I, you know, somewhere in this room, one of us is the weakest Christian in this room. One of us is actually the dumbest Christian. <laughs> I'm my hand too. One, one of us in this room is actually the dumbest Christian. You know, I, one of us is also the wisest. I don't think it's me. Okay? But, but one, one of us is that. What you have to understand is that through the power of resurrection and ascension, it doesn't matter. 
Because grace is what saves us. His resurrection ascension is all about him and not about us. The gospel is not try to live your best according to these words. The gospel is that Jesus lived the life we should have lived. That Jesus died the death that we all deserve to die. That Jesus rose from the grave and gives us new life. But he doesn't stop there. That's where it seems like a lot of Christians stop. And a lot of churches stop. They just kind of stop right there. What happens is then he detonates the power of God in us so we live and take that message of reconciliation to the rest of the broken and needy world. If you are a follower of Jesus, it doesn't stop in whatever your Jerusalem is, where your comfortable place is. That's not where it stops. It goes into every relationship that you have because every relationship needs restoration. Everyone needs reconciliation. And it grows from there and flows to the end of the earth. This is the power of resurrection and ascension. This is what God calls us as his people to live in. Ascension and resurrection. Understanding what he has done. The bestowing of his confident power. It's not about us trying to win victories. It's not about us living in our own strength. It's about him and his victory and his strength and what he calls us to do. He comes and he saves us and redeems us in resurrection. Everything can be new in you. And then he burst that power forth in us so we would go and live life in front of everybody else, inviting them to know what we know. And you may think, well, I'm not, I don't have the right words. I'm not smart enough. I don't. You know your story. You know your story. It's, it's not, oh, did I say it right enough? Did I say it? You trust God to draw people to himself because he can do that. That's what he does. But we go and we share what he has done because God is good. So we share our story. Part of the understanding is why we talk about communion every week. Communion is where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. So that we live as a people who understand that he, at this place, took care of all of our sin. He is the one who won the victory. He is the one who did all of it. And so we laid down our pride and our focus on our own strength and all the good things that we think we have done. We lay it down at the foot of the cross. And we get up and we live in the resurrection of his new life and the power that he gives us by ascension. And we live out in the world this great grace that he has given by his power, by his goodness, because he is the one who gives it to us. The band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you to take communion and remember what takes place in that. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm the dumbest Christian in the room, or I'm the weakest Christian. And, and you want some prayer. You know, we... Love to pray with you about that. Maybe you think you're the wisest one in the room. You probably need prayer. Okay? <laughs> it's, you're not like Moses who writes down, I'm the humblest man who ever lived. That's not you, right? It, we, we have to understand that it is God's strength that we live in. And if you're in a place where you feel like you don't have strength or you can't put the, all these things together, they would love to pray with you about that. If you have any prayer requests, they'd love to pray with you about that. But especially maybe something today kind of connected and you kind of need prayer in that. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us, giving that as part of our worship. Uh, we don't pass the pledge of response to what he has done. And there's food and cookies in the back. Grab some to eat. Maybe meet some other people. Take some notes and maybe sit down with somebody this week. Maybe if you're not in a GC, maybe with your family or a friend or something like that, and kind of go through those questions. I'm thinking about the difference of what resurrection and ascension means. I mean, Michelle was talking about this. This is Michelle, by the way, in case you don't know. Uh, this morning, Michelle uh, was kind of mentioning that. She goes, for a long time, she kind of thought about how, you know, ascension is like, bye, Jesus, you know. And that's not what it is. It's, it's that Jesus' strength is now detonated into us by the power of his spirit. He comes and lives in us and gives us strength to live in him. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful and great thing that he has done. And we as a people need to live in the strength that he provides.
Because our God has not left us alone. Our God has come to be with us and restore us and redeem us. And so we live in that resurrected and ascended life because he is good. Be his people. Live on mission. And when you run into that person that just drives you nuts, be like, I'm going to start praying for you. I want to tell you about Jesus. I wouldn't rather spend eternity with you, but I want to tell you about Jesus. You know, and, and talk to them about it. Because God sends us on mission. Look at everything in your life. What, what's your mission to serve your spouse? What's your mission to serve your workplace? What's your mission to glorify God in all that you do in all of your friendships? Those are the questions we should be asking. Because God gains great glory and people gain great joy when we live in the power of his resurrection and ascension. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us and help us to understand your power detonated to us. That we would live humble lives that fully reflect your goodness and your glory. That we would understand the things that you have revealed to us. And as we begin to live in that, and as we understand that more and more, that our hearts would be changed to better reflect who you are that we would understand that you have come and you have made all things new and all the things that embarrass us or we shy away from we can't believe we have done in our past, that you have come to pay the penalty for that, but also to redeem us by resurrecting and bringing us to life, by ascending and giving us the power to live the life you call us to. So teach us how not to live in guilt and shame, but to live in the hope of who you are. To live in the grace that you give to us. And that we would go and then live on mission to everybody we come into contact with. That we would honor you by how our lives are lived. That the world would see and know you because of how your children live on mission. Teach us. Be great beacons and light in this world as you send us into it. Understanding the hope and the power and the grace of resurrection and mission. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.